I'm Lieutenant Pat Doring, crisis negotiator, and you're listening to WhatCopsWatch.com. They all wear uniforms. They're honored to wear the badge. They defend life and property and carry guns. While they're often called superheroes, they, in the end, are humans, just like you and I. This is WhatCopsWatch.com. I'm Captain Chris DiGiuseppe. I'm an author, a screenwriter, and I've been in law enforcement for over 20 years. I'm Mike Wilkerson, the media generator with thousands of entertainment podcast reviews across a decade plus, loaded and ready for bear. The television programming is out there. The feature films are bigger, more action-packed than ever, and out there too. It's a growing world of media, both on and offline, but what do cops watch? Get ready to cross the yellow podcast tape and learn more about the thin blue line. It's time for another episode of WhatCopsWatch.com. Talking to people is supposed to be something easy. Hey, how's it going? What you got planned tonight? Hey, what's the status of that project at the office? And the consequential discussions that follow make for lives around the globe every day. But what happens when the conversations that you're having are literally life and death? Inside of 1998's The Negotiator, we joined Samuel L. Jackson and a gargantuan cast of characters to see how he, as a hostage negotiator, takes hostages and finds a way to prove he's clearly been done wrong. Or was he? It's time for a very special episode of WhatCopsWatch.com, the perspective review of 1998's The Negotiator, directed by F. Gary Gray, where we'll find out about exactly what's being talked about, and a whole lot more here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Chris DiGiuseppe, your other host. And Chris and I are joined inside of studio today by a couple of great new friends, at least for me. We've got uh, Pat Doring, who is a real-life hostage negotiator for which department? Working in St. Charles County, Mm -hmm. and we have a regional team, so every department in the county puts forth people to the SWAT team and the negotiation team. Uh, It's just phenomenal to have you here. And again, thank you for your service, both of you. And then joining us on the phone is also Tony Dinelli. Tony, thanks for joining us. I, I, I can't wait to introduce you and tell everyone your story, as well as your detail about your story. You're welcome. For those of you that don't know a lot about what could be considered the building blocks of this movie... It's actually, at least in part, based on an incident inside of St. Louis, which I wanted to make sure we outlined very clearly. So Tony is joining us as a former SWAT team member who, at one point inside of your career, took hostages, correct? Correct. And that was here inside of St. Louis. But we'll run through a couple of quick what happened in your instances and not inside of the movies is uh, there was hostage taking involved. Yes, Tony? Yes, there was. And there was a fund being robbed inside of the scenario you were referring to, right? I would not say robbed. I would clearly say that it was uh, misdirected. Uh, people were taking advantage of it with fees, excessive fees. And, and it, in a sense, that is a white-collar robbery. Yes. Sure, sure. Okay, so definitive white-collar robbery misappropriations for sure. Got that. Uh, there's a former military guy familiar with explosives via his experience in the military, which is you, correct? Yes, Okay, so we got that. Now, this is the most important part. 
Was there any of that cops shooting other cops because they're greedy, murderous sons of bitches? No. No. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that was that was false. Okay. And you know, when we talked to Tony, <laughs> you know, we kind of get the true story where <clears throat> there were people, and th- and these were cops, correct, Tony? There were other police officers that were yeah. uh, that were taking taking some of this money. Tony got caught up in this, and I, I'll, I'll let him expand on the story. But yeah. he he got caught up in this and was falsely accused and was uh and we're, you know tony as we go on here we're going to talk about the uh the stress and everything building and uh because that's kind of what the movie portrays is you know this character gets backed into this corner the stress and everything kind of takes over he's got no way out he's got to try to clear his name and and uh, he takes extreme measures do you want to go back and talk yeah. about what happened yeah. tony why don't you frame it up for us a, a little bit better i mean people that have seen the film they have a clear understanding that samuel l jackson is a man that's been wronged Put that aside for a moment and tell us the story. Well, I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, of course, I don't look like Samuel Jackson. I'm short <laughs> and fat, and Samuel Jackson's uh, tall and good shape. But what happened was I was a police officer. I had enough of the Bureau. I went in, back into uniform, and a lot of people were talking about the pension fund and how it was being misrun. Mm-hmm. So I looked at it in a non-professional way, and, and I found that there was massive, massive amounts of there's different terms. They call it churning, skimming, shaving. Mm-hmm. That nobody really understands unless you are doing the trades. Mm-hmm. And I did a tremendous amount to clean the system up. In fact, I built a, uh, a network of requirements for these these guys to invest in our money that they had to follow. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, naive as I am, I was asked by the majority floor leader of the House of Representatives Tony Roboto and Bob Griffin was the speaker. They said, you know, Tony, you're coming up here as a, as a lobbyist, and you don't know what the hell you're doing. So go talk to this guy who is a lawyer, and he's politically wired. I did just that, met with him several times. Unbeknownst to me, this lawyer was involved in skimming way beyond my time and tenure with, this, with the pension fund. Wow. I'm not knowing what that he was doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The government, I'm going to tell you just straight the way it is, and, and this is hard to swallow, but the government wanted me to no less lie under oath. Sure. They wanted me to say Tony Roboto and, and Paul Barrow, which is a comptroller, was actually getting money from this lawyer who I was directed to. Mm-hmm. And that would have been an untruth. I mean, I, mm-hmm. if, if I did that, if I didn't do that, they were going to indict me, and they did. And that's exactly what happened. I was indicted for conspiracy mm-hmm. with this attorney, mm-hmm. and... O'Kane, I think that it was $17 million in trades to Midwest Investment Company. <clears throat> wow. And that's that's one of the things, you know, that's one of the things in law enforcement, too, that you, you don't you just, you just don't cross the line with lying. You know, lying under oath is one of the things you just don't do, right, Tony? I mean, that's that's the line. You don't, um, you tell the truth when you're under oath. That is a great part of my life is honor. Right. And I would not dishonor myself, my family, or the system. Or my fellow officers would do that. And and the two people they wanted me to lie about would have destroyed their lives. I would do it. And again, I, I think what I really revere about this program that we've created here, Chris, whatcopswatch.com, is that you get to get little pieces like this. Mm-hmm. And the other pieces that are going <coughs> to pop out here as we talk about 1998's The Negotiator, starring Samuel L. Jackson. Sponsored by the St. Charles Office Center, Acoustica's mixed craft recording software, and Blogger's Bug. Everything's going to be just fine. 
So the hype around this film, now I know all four of us have seen this film. Tony, I know that you've seen this one, but only because you watched it inside of a lawyer's office, correct? That's correct. When it came out, the uh, the producer called me and said they were going to do a movie about me. And uh, did I have any objection? I said, well, of course not. I feel honored. They led me to believe it was based on fact. And, and it, it really wasn't. It was, it was a big stretch is what it was. You know, all that Hollywood embellishment stuff, right? Well, and they have to sell tickets. I understand that. Sure. <laughs> sure, I totally get it. Chris, where did you see this film? You know, I first saw it, I guess, when it came out. Mm-hmm. In the uh, theater then? or <clears throat> No, no. I, on cable or something. I don't think it was in a theater. Okay. It was when it first came out on cable or first came out on, uh, I don't know if it was VHS back then or DVD. I mm-hmm. can't remember. Mm-hmm. But And I remembered it. I, I liked it. And, you know, recently I just I watched it to review it before we uh, we got here. Got to look at it, right? Yep. You know, overall, I liked it. I, I One of the things that I really appreciated about this film was the pacing. And, you know, I'm into, are you going to show the, the real emotion behind the badge? Mm-hmm. You know, the law enforcement uh, perspective from it and the culture. Sure. And, um, you know, I think early on it, it starts to go into that. And it shows, it shows how, uh, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is, you know, this negotiator. He's, he's got this stress. And it builds up that stress at that that good pacing level to where you know where he snaps he yeah. starts getting framed and he starts to snap and and i get it pat where'd you see this the first time i i'm pretty sure i saw it in the movie theaters i was a big movie guy i'm still a big movie guy and yeah. it was just a big action movie at the time oh yeah and you had some big yeah. names i mean you got samuel L. jackson kevin spacey yeah so i remember going to the movie theater and watching it and i and at the time it was 1998 so i had just in that year i remember going to a class it was like a first class initial response to barricaded subjects or something to, to that effect and what were you doing you're now a hostage negotiator what were you doing back then in 1998 when you first saw this film? i, I was a police officer okay. i was just a road police officer i just probably had two 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 and a half years in okay and i was just kind of interested in the subject and negotiation and stuff and then of course you see a movie called the negotiator mm-hmm. i wanted to go and see it and yeah. obviously there's a lot of hollywood but there was some stuff in it that you know, kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I get that. So, yeah. Well, from the perspective of a movie guy, going to see a movie called The Negotiator that has someone like Samuel L. Jackson and Kevin Spacey, who are the negotiators, it was an extraordinary opportunity to go and see a movie that you hope would at least have some foundation in reality. And the neat part is that this one did. There's a lot of really great pieces built inside of this movie that fit the bill. We've talked about them mm-hmm. in the prelude to doing this review. Mm-hmm. But there's also some other pieces that deserve some definitive spotlight inside this review. No doubt about it. Everything's going to be just fine. WhatComesWatch.com. The Negotiator. The Money. Now, Tony, you'll love this. The initial take inside of 1998's first weekend... For the negotiator, across 2,400 theaters was $11 million. We always play a game inside of the money part of what happens inside of feature films. And Chris, I'm going to pick on you because it's fun to pick on Chris. Chris, how much money did this make domestically? Any idea? $63 million. $63 million to date. A little bit over this time, it was only $45 million. Okay. So a little bit more, and that's going to include all of the, the, the ticket sales, but also the DVD and Blu-ray sales. Something else I wanted to make sure we mentioned here, too. They got another $7.88 when I bought this movie. You contributed. I, I did contribute. Yeah. Um, obviously, my $7.88 isn't there. Right. <laughs> Tony got to watch it for free, though. They, they, he didn't have to buy it, right? 
They should have given you a complimentary copy. Yeah. And some screen credit, no less. That would have been fun, too, right, Tone? Well, they, they didn't. I talked to him afterwards. I was a little upset because there was nothing. It was very little based on the truth. It was a very skeleton-type uh, scenario. And, uh, and I, I told the uh, writer, I said, listen, you guys better not portray me as a jerk. Uh, doing things I shouldn't be doing. And I, t- I actually talked a law firm with me to the, the, the first viewing of this movie. And if you if you watch Samuel Jackson, the guy doesn't even spit on the street. He is, just doesn't cheat on his wife. He doesn't do anything wrong. Yeah. So yeah. I was happy about that. They definitively painted you in a, a, a wonderful color, just a different color, frankly. Yes. Everything's going to be just fine. WhatComesWatch.com, the negotiator. The good. Every movie that we talk about inside of, whether it's the Two Guys Talking Realm or WhatCopsWatch.com, all has some really great stuff inside of it, in particular the stuff that has cops inside of it. Loosely based on reality. Now we've talked about the main aspects here with Tony, about how this was loosely based Mm -hmm. on reality, but one that really struck me that we've talked about, Pat, I think you mentioned it in our prelude, was the actual background, the details, and that kind of a quick flashback that they have inside of what happens inside this guy's life at the beginning of the movie. Right. Yeah. Like I said, um, the whole point of him being an expert marksman, you know, being explosive, stuff like that, that just kind of, if you kind of just looked at some of the newspaper articles on the original story, Mm -hmm. it's almost like they picked just pieces of the real stuff and threw it into the movie. Yeah. And I find that extraordinary. Every, every time you can take something that is a little tiny bit of real life and splash that into what you're showcasing in front of millions of people literally across the globe. I vote for all kinds of awesome on that. I, I, it me makes too. me want to go and view things like that. And, and I think actually some of the initial reports actually portrayed Tony as a negotiator mm-hmm. in some of the newspaper articles. And I think they kind of caught onto that and like, oh, let's make this a negotiator within a negotiation kind of. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about the tension between the guys that go and do the breaching and then the, the negotiators. Tony, did you take any offense at them making you a negotiator inside of both the movie and whatever news stream? No, no, they they wanted to sell tickets. You know, I would like to go back to one of your questions about taking a hostage. Sure. And I think this is the, the core of the movie, truthfully. Yeah, absolutely. I was wrapped way too tight, being convicted of a crime I did not do that could be easily proved, and I'm going to be a cop going to jail. Right. One of the worst things there are. I sure. put these guys in, now I'm going to start living with them. But when I went to the name of the a person I was involved with was John Frank. He was actually a commissioner and a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this was a Saturday morning. And first of all, how many lawyers work on a Saturday morning? Now, how many <laughs> work on a Monday? Very, very few. <laughs> so I went into his office, not in any intention of taking that man hostage. I went into that office to retrieve a file of another form of corruption was payoffs in the police promotion system. Mm-hmm. Widespread. And this John Frank lied under oath mm-hmm. and said, and you, you, this is as ridiculous as it could be said, uh, there's no politics in the St. Louis Police Department. Well, I mean, every police department somewhat politics, but right. St. Louis PD. Well, anyway, when I go into his office, John was there, and I said, John, I want your file, because I've seen it before. There were actually payoffs for promotions. And John got very nervous, reached into his bottom right drawer, and instead of pulling out the file, John started to pull out a gun. Mm-hmm. Well, that's when everything hit the fan, and that's when the situation turned into a hostage situation. I was I was hurt enough as it was, and then a friend of mine is going to kill me over this file. 
well, it, it hit the fan, and I, I just couldn't have reached a bigger low. And I'm going to tell you guys, I've been to some lows in my life, and I've been in combat, Vietnam. I've been to some hairy things since SLPD, but this was the lowest in my entire life. This was bottom. Sure. And again, I the, the piece that Chris is talking about, and we're going to talk a lot more in depth about, mm-hmm. is the stacking of stress and the, wait a second, are you telling me that? Wait a second, are you telling me that? Wait a second, are you telling me that? Yeah, and I, I, th- that that doesn't just happen inside of a police officer's life. That happens inside of everybody's life. And and they wrapped that reality yes. that Tony just laid out for us into this movie. I don't know if they did it consciously. I don't know if they actually knew that. Did they interview you about that, Tony, before they made the movie? Did they know those things? They no, not exactly. They were supposed to get back with me to interview me. They they it was like you, Pat. They interviewed a lot of people, and then when they decided to make the movie, it was because hey, Tony. You got screwed. Right. You actually are innocent. <laughs> yeah. And um, that's why they decided that that, that would be a, a good foundation. Well, okay. and not only a good foundation, but better to probably go in a different direction than exactly what your direction was. Hence right. the change yeah. of you now are a tall, thin black man as opposed to a, as you admitted, <laughs> short Italian guy. <laughs> right. So that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. How important is small talk? In hostage negotiation. Okay. Uh, basically, I was just going to go back to the first scene in the movie where Samuel Jackson's talking to the guy who's mm-hmm. got the little girl hostage. Mm-hmm. And basically, they're talking about dogs. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with the situation. All he's trying to do is build a rapport with the guy. Sure. And I was telling you earlier before we did this, there's several examples to where you're talking to a guy and it's not even about the situation. You are you may be talking about TV shows, movies, anything that's not in regards to holding hostages or wanting to kill yourself. You're just basically trying to build a rapport with the guy because down the line, that rapport is going to help you get the hostages out or get the guy out. And I love that. Tony, what do you got? That's exactly exactly right. The only problem with me was I knew what they were going to be doing. I, Sergeant, <laughs> the, the, the negotiators, Sergeant Hall, right? He, they, they were wonderful men. He's a wonderful guy. He was so frustrated because he knew I knew what he was going to ask for. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's frustrating on his end to get anything accomplished that way. You know, I knew he was going to do the small talk. I knew he was going to bring the family, and I knew he was going to do this, that, and the other thing. And uh, I just kind of didn't want to hear it, except that we're going to have a new trial, and we're going to bring real evidence in. But <laughs> I, I think that's the other piece that I find wonderful about this, is that they've cued in on a piece of the overall story that really does impassion people, regardless of whether you're in the profession and job or not. When I walk up to anybody on the street and I go, Hey, if, if you could watch a story inside of a movie or television show and what the story was, was someone that knows hostage taking tactics versus a hostage negotiator, would you watch that? Well, you sure. show me the person that goes, ah, not really right. interested. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that they were able to bridge that inside of what they showcased here. And I think if there was real impact, that's the real impact that you have here. And not only is it Danny as Samuel L. Jackson against the entire force, it's him against the world, right? Because you've yeah, got the, you've got the right the news stream right. on behind everybody. Right. I really love that about this movie a lot. I do too. You know, the le- level of the playing field is always uh, something that drags me in. And if yeah. I'm gonna if yeah. I'm gonna yeah. see you know if I'm gonna I'm gonna take a police officer you know an expert interrogator and try to ha- interrogate them. Yeah, let's let's see it. That's gonna play out. You know, especially in entertainment. That's going to be pretty entertaining. Well, it does. It does. I think probably three or fourfold inside of this movie because there's 
There's people that think they know what they're doing, and then there's the people that know what they're doing. Right. And then everybody surrounding them that chime in at a period of time during the movie. Right. I, I like it when movies can offer me that multiple playing cards instead of just, here's what we're playing, hope you like it, goodbye. Mm -hmm. There's a <laughs> lot more than that inside of this movie. I agree. Right. So does everyone have a nemesis inside the department? And what I'm referring to here is painted in very poor light intentionally though, because of the story is David Morse as Beck inside of this film. It's a, it's a wonderful role for him. David Morse plays wonderfully at this role mm -hmm. in a variety of different uh, movies that he's in. The other one that comes to mind is the rock. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, I don't know the, I guess speaking to that, you know, does everybody have a nemesis in the department from my years? What I've seen is, well, Everybody has an ego. You know, when sure. you, you become a cop, you have an ego to mm -hmm. some extent, and sometimes some more than others. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you get you get those people that, you know, they have an inflated ego. It plays into maybe inexperience. Mm -hmm. You know, the the younger people that come in and, you know, I remember when I came into law enforcement. I you know, if if I were to sit here and tell you that those are the same reasons I'm in it today, you know, I would be lying. I mean, I, I got in, I was 23 years old. It was exciting. You get a gun, you get a badge, you drive fast in the car. And hey, you know what? Sometimes you, you can create an ego there. And that person, you know, eventually other people don't want to work around you if you continue to, to hold that standard. Mm -hmm. But I'll defer to uh, some of my other, my fellow officers here and let them comment. Yeah. Well, I just like that they kind of play, portrayed the SWAT negotiator rift because it's sometimes there's and they kind of over overdid it a lot. I mean, it's sure. not to that. Well, and, and so describe it for us in the prelude. You talked about it specifically. I thought well, that was basically, a track. Uh, you need the SWAT guys. Their job is they're the tactical guys. They're mm -hmm. the ones that are going to go in. And mm -hmm. a lot of times we're the ones on the phone, so they don't have to go in. And most guys know that. And there's we have enough training. We train together, and they all know we're there for reasons to save them, to save the hostages. But then there's some instances where they're basically at the door. Why are we not going in? Why is the guy still talking to him? So sometimes the riff does kind of go at each other. And like I said, this movie kind of portrays it at a more heightened level. Sure. It doesn't really get into, you know, that big of a confrontation as they show in the movie. So mm -hmm. I would not allow a fellow officer to kill me. I couldn't, I wouldn't let him have that on his conscience. I couldn't do that. So my hostage rescue team was there. But I guess I thought they thought I was important enough. They brought the FBI SWAT team in. Mm. Well, George Klobes was, uh, was one of the commanders, uh, the sergeants, and later told me, he says, that's what they were there. They were to protect me from the FBI who wanted to kill me. But mm. I would, I just couldn't let one of my guys do that. I just, I, I wouldn't let that happen. But right. uh, that was pretty honorable about my guys. My team protected me until there was a uh, resolution to this that was uh, acceptable. Right, and we're gonna we're gonna get into some of that too later, Tony. As far as the, you know, I was telling Mike for the show, you know, the loyalty among the police culture and such. You know, there's there's certain boundaries and stuff. You know, when you start getting into, uh, you know, okay, we got some corrupt cops that happens, and you know, they're stealing from a fund. But you know, when we start getting into murder, you know, things that they portray in this movie. It's uh, that's a stretch. Yeah, well, and there's actually several aspects about that that we're definitely going to get into here. Going easy on one of our own when searching via a warrant. Yep. And it's funny that we were just talking kind of about this, Chris. When they enter into Danny's house, into Samuel Jackson's abode with his wife, there literally is the comment to go easy is one of ours. And I, I actually questioned you guys on that when I came in this afternoon because i am got to go find the stuff that makes him guilty and or innocent. So let's go. 
but there's a whole lot more to it than that. And you see the you see the division. You know, you've got internal affairs that's there. Mm-hmm. You kind of saw how they were portrayed, mm-hmm. and then you see you know the other guys that are there that are in patrol or whatnot mm-hmm. that are you know they they have to work day to day with uh, you know with Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, they're going to go easy. I mean, they, they're going to soften it. They're going to hey, you know, look this. We got to do this. You know, come on, help us out. You know, because they've got to work with this guy, and this person's their friend. I right, mean, they right. they've they've been in life and death situations with this guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe the internal affairs, the way that they they portray them, is uh, you know, like, look, we just got to get in, we've got to get the stuff done, and so on and so forth. But I'll defer to Tony on that because we're a smaller <laughs> department, you know, as to what I'm used to. Uh, Tony, what what is that? IA. I, I mean, are they really like that? Do they uh, they go in? Is there this real animosity? Like that, where they're going in, they're not going to show any respect, but your fellow patrol officers going in to search another cop's house, they're going to soften it? No, I do not believe that. Now, there were some good guys in IA because I had to deal with them because I made extraordinary uh, amount of arrests, okay. self-initiated on arrest. Okay. And you always get complaints. And I had good <clears throat> men in IA that would, would fairly and justly investigate those complaints. Good. Of course, like anything else, there's people that, in IA that wants to make a name for themselves. Everywhere. Sure. And I, I appreciate your perspective because, like I said, we're in a smaller department. I'm in administration, so I do internal affairs and internal investigations and things like that. You know, it's tasked with, you know, the administrators because we're just not that big. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, the perspective from a bigger department and the experiences you had, I appreciate it. Well, I just think if you tend to watch any cop shows, cop movies, it's always the bad guy is the eternal affairs detective. So they always portray them as the bad guys. You know, they're the ones that are out to get all the the good cops, or you know. And yeah. I think that's just the Hollywood genre, if you if you want to call it that. Yeah. Well, and you'll also note that I don't know that there are any television programs that have been large television successes that are based on internal affairs, mm-hmm. i.e., the stars are internal affairs. Right. Well, they're never. They're never internal right, affairs. Right, yeah. It's always a police department or some force that's being invaded by the, you know, the the literal Romans of the mm-hmm. internal affairs department. Right. Very, very interesting. A great perspective. The cast. Now, we obviously don't have time to talk about everybody inside of the cast of The Negotiator, but I want everyone to understand the power of the cast inside of this movie because I have forgotten how robust this this film is. From stem to stern... Every single person that you see inside of the camera has now moved on to something else that is usually bigger or something else that's just become more grand. Obviously, we've got Samuel L. Jackson, who is still, believe it or not, the highest paid actor in Hollywood across a variety of genres. He's everything from where he was the drunk, I'm going to blow your MF and head off inside of, uh, well, that too, but also inside of uh, Coming to America. He literally just busts in to rob the the McDowell's (laughs) inside of that. That's where he started. And now look at him. Mm-hmm. The highest paid actor in Hollywood. He does a wonderful job inside of this, portraying a man that's just been pushed too far, obviously. And we'll just but, forget about snakes on a plane. <laughs> you know, I don't want to forget about snakes on the plane, though. It took a genre into a genre, and then it died. Yay. At least it took a genre someplace. Uh, Kevin Spacey. What can you say about Kevin Spacey except that he, too, is just skyrocketing as an actor? He, too, has had his, why are we going to talk about that's like K-Pax Mm -hmm. strange movie but then you've Mm -hmm. got the other side of the coin like the usual suspects another movie that we definitively have got to do inside of the the whatcopswatch.com cone because that is a great film you've got uh david morris one of my favorite actors all the way from saint elsewhere as a nobody that was dreaming up an entire series 
phenomenal actor all the way across the board. Even in the smallest roles that he has, he's got impact. And when you can have gravitas on the screen, that equals a great actor. Uh, Ron Rifkin. Ron Rifkin, of course, plays Frost inside of this, and he has been across the board inside a variety of efforts. Then he plays what is essentially uh, I'm now done with my patrol career into administrational stuffs here. Mm-hmm. Right. Is another spectacular, hey, I would have never guessed that guy's the bad guy at the end. Mm, right. Uh, spectacular. Just great stuff. A few others. John Spencer, J.T. Walsh. Can mm-hmm. we all name off at least one yeah. other awesome film with J.T. Walsh? Uh, he he has uh, a variety of films that I think fit perfectly into the cone of pop culture for two guys talking, as well as a bunch of other ones inside of whatcopswatch.com. Mm-hmm. You know, the list just it goes on and on and on. Paul Giamatti, Regina Taylor, Bruce Beatty. Uh, it just, it, it's a huge cast of people, and I don't know many films that bother to do that anymore. Right. Very often it's maybe the first, maybe the three rungs of what you see, and then the rest is just people bringing in faces. They really did populate what's going on inside of this movie. I thought it was great. Yep. A very caring wife. So of the three police officers in the room, how many of you have a caring wife? Everybody, hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) Right, Tony? (laughs) Absolutely. 100%. Makes a difference. And again, the best part about being a caring wife is that they bother to not kill her. Right, right. That's yeah, traditionally, absolutely. That's right. traditionally what else happens inside of Hollywood. And I love right. it when Hollywood goes against the grain and doesn't just say, you know, let's make a great cop epic. And you know what? The wife's got to die. Right, yeah. Uh, it's very frustrating. And again, going against the grain, a particular inside of this one where she's kind of wall dressing yeah there isn't too much interaction but she's she there's substance she add i think she adds a critical part though to his emotional and psychological mm-hmm. yeah. makeup yeah. i mean she really yeah. drives everything that he did i mean yeah. it's it's all about her and that and i i love that aspect of uh you know him in law enforcement i'm gonna do for my family look the badge is important but my wife my family is more important yeah. and that that really is a as a an actual theme. The other thing that in, able in to, our culture, yeah. The other thing they're able to do is to give her substance, the mm-hmm. the the value of her striking Chris Sabian, uh, the mm-hmm. value of her storming out because she's not going to be used as a tool. Right, right. That's substance as opposed to just wall dressing that then gets gun gunned down later on in the in the right. television series or whatever. I agree. So again, thumbs up for a very caring wife. The building of stress, how pacing really does make a difference. Inside of everything, two guys talking. I always talk about pace because even inside of the worst film, the worst television series, what can always help it, if not make it triumphant, is pacing. Mm-hmm. And what they're able to do inside of this film and that you brought up wildly and wonderfully, Chris, was the building of stress right. and how that helps to spur on, just like spurs on a on a racehorse, the pacing inside of this film. Right, exactly. You, you know, you see the first scene where he disarms that guy, he's holding the shotgun to him, and this guy just had a, you know, had a uh, little girl, you know, that he's holding the shotgun on, and you see the emotion, mm-hmm. you know, he's dealing with that guy, that that guy that's just a dirtbag that he just can't stand, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, they have to take the gun out of his hand, he's shaking so much, and then it just progresses from there with, uh, you know, with the allegations, his partner gets murdered. He, uh, you know, the, and then everybody turns on him. You know, the, the, even the wife of the murdered partner is, you know, is, uh, cussing him out at one point in time, you know, using obscenities and, and, you know, his lawyer gives up on him. Yeah. So yeah, I love the way that they build that. 
they get quickly to that turning point that where he snaps, but you understand why. You as an audience, you go, oh, yeah, I get it. Look, I mean, quickly, he rose to this level, he snapped, and then they go right into the action. Yeah, the, the pacing inside of this is wonderful, and frankly, a lot of television series could take a great cue from this film mm-hmm. because being able to spur on the pace like a racehorse it really does help inside of the storytelling element, especially something that has as much action as this does. And I don't know if they tried to do this or not, but what I thought was kind of neat, how they kind of put the negotiator aspect into it was there's a thing we call it's the crisis state, and I don't know if we kind of dropped the hostage part of negotiators. Now mm-hmm. everybody's a crisis negotiator because sure. that's what we're more dealing with now is people in crisis. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the beginning, like Chris was saying, you can see how he's he's under a lot of stress because of the job he does. And then you throw the fact that now he's getting accused of this, and it just almost builds up his crisis state. And if you go back to Tony's real thing, it's the same thing. Tony you know, went through this trial. Now he's got to go to the sentencing. All this stuff's building up on him. Mm-hmm. It's just a crisis state, and bam, you snap, and anybody could do it. I mean, that's yeah, all any, way, any one of us could be involved in this crisis state. All yeah. the way up to where, you know, a good friend of yours almost pulls a gun on you, right, Tony? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you, like you said, that was one of the lowest lowest points in your life, even after going through Vietnam and such. I think they, they mixed that reality and creativity to, to, to make the movie. Ironically, though, Tony, you said that they might not have known all of this when they created the movie, or did they? No, I don't think that they they didn't realize that you got to almost be a lawyer to look at the who gets who gets sued after they're convicted. That happens very seldom, right? And then and then when the evidence comes out to clear you, uh, people have obligations to look into that, right? I mean, Pat, you know, and, and Chris, you do not put an innocent man in jail, correct? That I mean, you do a lot of things, believe me. But you don't convict it. You just can't. You lose your honor and, and everything around you when you do that. And it degrades the system. And I really wanted to believe that the, the government would step in and say, okay, let's take another look at this. And they didn't. Sure. They could. The whole lawyer build and then exits and says, cut a deal? <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I, I, know, I know a lot of lawyers, and so I don't want to throw them all under the bus. Well, maybe I will. And the, uh, the, the, the there's this entire scene where, you know, Danny's pouring his heart out and he can't believe what's going on. And then his lawyer and his wife walk outside and he goes, essentially, hey, man, you're on your own. See yeah. ya. It's, <laughs> it it's, just yeah. takes off. It's Shakespeare. I mean, A2 Brute. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, who else is going to stab him in the back? Yeah. You know, ultimately, yeah. his lawyer says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm there too. Yeah. And it just uh, it, it it piled on, and it, it was it was wonderfully done. And whoever that lawyer was, I don't know who that was inside the cast, but uh, the literal it wasn't even a tip of the hat. It was like you know wh- where is my parking ticket? See ya. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> that's how that's how quick it was. It was great. The nuance of hostage negotiation, or should I start saying crisis negotiation? Because that is that right? I would, I would say up a, to somebody, you tell them you are a, a crisis negotiator. Crisis now. negotiator. Right, okay, yeah. great. Great. And that's basically because back in the 70s when it was first started, that's what they were dealing with. We sure. were dealing with hijackings and bank robberies. Now it's more people in crisis. You have your suicidal subjects. So I think that's why everybody's gone with crisis negotiator. Interesting. Interesting. I, and I like that a lot. And the, again, the reason we're bringing it up here is that there is obviously a nuance of either crisis or hostage negotiation that all of us that aren't that don't understand. And that it showcased some inside of this movie I really enjoy. You, you get to see the professionals, i.e. Danny and uh, Chris Sabian, go at each other as professionals 
inside of this. Uh, it, I would compare it very much to a Western movie. The difference is that instead of having pistols, right. they're literally going with tactics against one another. Right, basically just dueling it out. Uh, and I really yeah. enjoyed that. I, I thought that that was one of the best pieces of the movie, mostly because they're great actors. Right, uh, absolutely. The, the chemistry between the two of them. I don't know if there was uh, ever any other people that were supposed to be these people, but the chemistry set that they built with this particular movie between those two is extraordinary. Yeah, the chess game that they had going on back and forth was so intricate that the mm-hmm. other, the way they portrayed it, the other officers there didn't even really pick up on it. Right. Oh, and so that's when I, I think you great. know you've got something really special. Yep. And that you could literally see the words zinging past a whole bunch of other people on on scene. That's when you know you've got something special. Right. And then you, you kind of go to the beginning where you kind of see where Samuel Jackson's in charge. You know, he's telling him I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward it, now Kevin Spacey's the guy who's hanging up on him, you know, yeah. and now really, yeah. no, I'm in charge. So, and it goes back and forth of who's in charge, you know. Yeah, I, I, I found that extraordinary. It made me want to sit and watch the movie. Uh, I, I don't I don't think that I have attention deficit disorder, but I know that I want something to keep me on task during a right. film. And this, there's no doubt about it, this film was able to do that. Would the cops in the squad room drop their guns on the desk and leave? And we discussed this before. You know, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think a cop's going to uh, leave without his gun. I don't think he's dropping it on the desk. Um, you know, Pat said, you know, yeah, there's going to be a standoff. I mean, they, they're drawn down. You know, there's 15 people with guns. It's drawn down on this one guy. He's got a hostage. Now he does put a round into the ceiling or whatever, mm-hmm. and that kind of ups the ante. But on the other hand, I'm also, uh, my opinion is. Man, they're not going to shoot another cop if they don't have to. I don't think anybody fires on him. I think they might walk out, but I don't think it gets to the point where they shoot him because it's uh, it's a fellow cop. You know, they know him. It's a friend, mm-hmm. and and then fast forward into you know goes into that sniper scene where he can't pull the trigger. I think it's still there in the squad room. Tony, what do you guys would he, think? Tony, would he get shot or not get shot? Would they all drop the guns and leave? They would not drop their guns, but they would continue to do what they were doing to protect me to. to to resolve this in a better situation than the than the FBI wanted to. The FBI wanted to, I, I understand, end it with a shot. And where I was, I wasn't that stupid. You couldn't make a shot. Uh, I, when you box yourself into a corner, you, 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 there was no way to make a shot. So it, it was a, it was a frustrating situation for everybody. I think. Well, I'm just going to go back to like I said. I, I don't think obviously they're not going to drop their guns. But mm-hmm. I think it's basically no. like I said. It's going to be a it's going to be a standoff. They're going to. What I would think is they're going to start trying to negotiate right there. Hey, you know, you don't want to do this. You know, this is not going to help you declaring your innocence. You know, drop the gun. Let's talk about that. I think that's where it would go. And and eventually, if it kept going, then maybe, yeah, the cops are going to pull out, and now it's a barricade. Yeah. Very interesting. I, and again, I kind of look at it this way. I, I own firearms. I've owned firearms for 15, 15 years now. And as soon as he shoots, that's upping the ante instantly. And it that's is. where if I had the shot, I would have taken the oh, shot, yeah. not yeah. being a cop. Yeah, it is. I don't. So, I don't know. I don't. Th- I. I still. I don't know. I'd have to be in that situation. I yeah. still don't think they take a shot at one of their fellow cops, but I'm not sure. Tony, what do you? What do you think? They're. You know, they've they've got him at gunpoint. He puts a round into the ceiling just to show him he's. Uh, you know, he's serious. You think somebody in that squad room takes a shot at him? No. Uh, under these circumstances, with me, no, is because they couldn't physically. There's only yeah. there's only three ways they could get to me, and that's through my back, through walls yeah. from outside, yeah. and then through a nearly a three quarter inch glass door. We know that rounds deflect. That's why yeah. I sat there at the at the front desk. 
I, you know, I knew I was uh, less vulnerable right there. Yeah. And I and I controlled the situation from my mind the best way I could. And in, and and in your and what what you said was your fellow officers, you know, they didn't want to be in that situation. You don't think that they would have no. they would have done that. Okay. That's very interesting, and that's where we ask you, the listeners, what would you do? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's whatcopswatch.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side inside of that contact area. Fill out the quick web form, and let us know which way would you go. Are you dropping around, or are you waiting to see what happens? Let us know what you think. Are there clearly incompetent negotiators in service? And I asked Pat, not pointedly, but uh, I, I would say it, just like any profession, there's there's always somebody that's incompetent. Now, are we going to put that guy on the phone when we have uh, another <laughs> negotiator who took hostage? Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have our A game guy there, and, and and it's just not one guy too. We have a whole team. Yeah, you know, you have your yeah. negotiator, you have a secondary who's going to, and there's just there's a bunch of other guys. But yeah, that guy would never get on the phone in a, I would hope in a real life situation. <laughs> I had a follow-up question here that I just I, I tucked in. Uh, would a clearly incompetent negotiator be allowed to engage someone like Danny? Answer yeah, ab- absolutely no. not, no. Okay. Unless it's, like I said, it's Mayberry and that's the only guy they got. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, guess what, Andy? It's him or Floyd, you're right? Talking on, you're talking on the phone today, Andy. That's that's the only scenario I see it ever happening. Yeah, so. yeah. and we're going to talk about Farley later on inside of this review of 1998 Negotiator. Uh, Farley is... Clearly, some comic relief added inside of what is a very yeah. touch-and-go moment inside of a very serious film. The Humanizing of Danny by Danny. This was something wonderful that we talked about inside the prelude. Pat, this is where <laughs> Danny literally talks to all the people that he's worked with for however many, right. 10 years or whatever. Years, right. Basically, yeah. what he does is he basically flips it around on them and uses a negotiator's tactic, basically, and humanizes himself to them so they know hey he's still danny he's our friend which is something we kind of do to the person that's taking the hostages we throw it back on them so he just kind of used the old reverse psychology on them and and i think even at one point in the movie the guy even says he's trying to stockholm syndrome us which is what i thought was kind of funny so yeah i love that part i thought that that was brilliant with it you know hey take look take the toothpick out of your mouth uh stop trying to tells back stop trying to get in here he knows he's and he knows how his mind works. He knows how all their minds work, and he's he's just playing on it. He's dissecting it, and then he reminds them, "Hey, you know, we were we were down in the trenches together. Remember when I pulled you? What was it? What was it? Uh, the sniper? Yeah, Palermo, Palermo, Palermo. Yeah. Remember when I pulled you out of the way? That shot saved your life, or whatever it was. He really goes into that, and I thought that was uh, I thought that was great writing. Yeah." And I also loved how they painted Palermo as what could have been a bad guy. Yeah. They did a lot of that inside of this film. And the, right. The, the, the <clears throat> tiny little nuance of either soundtrack or not giving enough uh, expositional expression from the actor to go either way and letting you make the call on whether they're good or bad based mm-hmm. on what you're seeing. I thought that that was great inside this film. I agree. Who is your Chris Sabian? And Pat, we're going to start with you, Mr. Crisis Negotiator. If you had to, if you were in this situation, you had to call one guy. Who are you calling? Well, I'll go back to 1998 when I f- went to my first class. Mm-hmm. It was a retired guy from St. Louis County. Mm-hmm. His name's Gino, mm-hmm. and uh, he's the one who taught our class. And basically, throughout the time, I started to got to I got to know him. I actually started training with him, and and basically, he was one of my mentors. So sure. if there was one guy I would want, I would want Gino there to talk to me. Yeah. That would be my guy. Yeah. Who did you end up calling for your negotiator inside of your situation? First, I wanted Dan Macy because Dan was very close to me. But Hog was 
a good, I work with these guys on many, many situations and I could feel it in his heart that he was, he was torn apart talking to me. Not like, cause I listened yeah. to him in many other situations. Um, when they, and, and you mentioned this before, the turning around, they, they mentioned, okay, you're innocent. Let's call on Cable X. Well, I felt, I felt that the time to turn this all around is okay. Let's do it. Put me on Cable X and I'm out of here. Well, you know what? The powers of beast better not let him do that. That was, that was, mm-hmm. that was right there would show me that they didn't want the truth. Right. Interesting. And, uh, Interesting. Yeah. And Chris, do you have a personal Chris Sabian esque character that if you were in this situation? I don't think so. I mean, you'd be calling me as far as yeah, I call me actually. I mean, I would would would, hope he would call me. I would never, never have Pat try to talk me down. He'd he'd lose it. (laughs) But uh, no, I mean, you know, it would be. I guess it would have to really come down to somebody that I trust and mm-hmm. that that would listen to me. And uh, just like Tony was saying, you know, it, it was somebody that he worked with all the time, somebody that he trusted, uh, because there was so much mistrust there. So you know, whether it's um, you know my uh, my boss Mike Force, for instance, uh, you know, I've worked with the guy for 22 years. He's been the police chief out there, and um, you know, I trust the guy. Mm-hmm. He, he's mentored me. He's made me into the cop that I was and am Mm -hmm. and you know i know that that guy would listen to me because he's got some buy-in and um our values are the same so it would it would have to be somebody like that but you know they can't make decisions and i knew that too right throw that they throw something on the table and you know it's like buying a car right i want to go talk to the sales uh, manager that's what i knew the negotiator was going to do that he has to go back and you know with the closed phone and talk to the powers to be Right. I knew that. I knew that was coming up. And, and Pat, I know you get the same situation. Right, right. Yeah, and, and there's a thing we always say, commanders don't negotiate, negotiators don't command. That's just kind of the saying. That's <laughs> right. just that's just how it is. You and, have to have somebody that's in charge, and you can't do both of them. So. And did that ever cross your mind, Tony? Hey, look, put the decision maker on the, on the phone. I want to talk to them. Was that ever a tactic? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I tried, and uh, I, I knew that I, I knew that I couldn't. Right. I knew that I could. I'm going to say, listen, all we want is fairness here. Right. We want honesty. That's all. And they, and they, they, they couldn't do that. Right. So that, that was hard to do. And I couldn't get Dan Macy either. To, you know, I, as you know, we have a great relationship. What a great guy. Mm-hmm. Do negotiators have the same barriers as the rest of us humans when it comes to familial conversation? Pat, essentially what I was talking about inside of the prelude again was... Bringing in the wife in this case, inside of this film, was done for a variety of reasons, most of which are Hollywood-based, correct? Right, right, exactly. Nine times out of ten, and you'll always have it, there'll be somebody on the scene that will say, hey, I'm this guy's neighbor, or I'm best friends with them, just let me talk, I can talk him out, let me talk to him, and it never really happens. I mean, <laughs> we call them TPIs, which is a third-party intermediary. Mm-hmm. And basically what it is is just a third person. And normally if we're going to have one of those people on the phone, Mm -hmm. we'll either do it taped or we're going to control the conversation where if they start to say something, we can cut them off. Like I said, most negotiations, you're never going to get another party involved. It's always going to be the negotiator. Even like Tony was saying, we're not letting the commander on the phone. And no matter how much you want to talk to the commander, (laughs) he's not getting on the phone. You're talking to us. So that's just kind of how that goes. Interesting. You know, that's and that and that's a good point. I'm going to I'm going to take the opportunity to brag on Pat a little bit. And, you know, there was an incident, Pat's like one of the only negotiators that I've ever known who has talked a bank robbery suspect into driving to Pat's location and giving up. One of the ways that he did it was he uh, he had a relative, but he didn't put that relative, you know, in direct contact, but, you know, he wanted to uh, make sure that person knew, hey, look, we are going to get you, because what they wanted to do, it was a child, they, we, they wanted to speak 
to that person. And he, he put those things together and he actually got a bank robber to drive to his location and give up. And it was, it was, uh, it was incredible. I've never seen anything like that, but, um, that's one of the things that worked and that's because he controlled the situation. Have had you put the relative on the phone, you never know what that's going to be like. Right. And the funny thing in the story is, is that wasn't her first bank she'd robbed. This, <laughs> she was a serial bank robber. I think this was like number three or four. So Interesting. That almost yeah. sounds like the seeds for yet another film that right. should be made. Right. We'll based put, here in St. Louis. We'll, we'll call somebody on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Farley costing a life. Would a shot fired equal breaching the room? So finally we get to part of at least a part of what we talk about when we talk about Farley and the listing of can't, won't, don't-ness, <laughs> which is fun inside of this. Would that, the the shot costing a life be reflected on Farley or not? Because I don't see how it's not. Look at the bumbling, incompetent idiot that just got somebody killed because mm-hmm. right. we don't know what a gunshot means when it's up on the 15th floor or whatever it is. Right, and, and like I said, it's every situation is different. I mean, I can't say that 100% of the time a gunshot, people are going to make the entry. It's just going to depend on the situation. Like I said, if it's a single barricade, a lot of times, and we've seen this, is people will take one shot as a test shot. Mm-hmm. They're just testing to make sure the gun works, and it doesn't mean they're actually shooting at anyone or shooting at themselves. Now, granted, this is a different situation. Now you have hostages. Now has the guy actually shot a hostage? It's just going to be something you're going to have to rely on what intel you got in there. I mean, obviously, if the guy is starting to start popping rounds off and he's killing hostages, it's a different situation. Mm-hmm. Well, and also because it's him. It, this is a guy that knows guns and isn't going to fire off around to make sure the gun works. Right. And he's going to know whether it's ready to bear or not. Let's get an opinion from somebody on the tactical team, too. Tony, what your opinion? The uh, shot goes off inside there. Um, automatic breach or no? It is going to it's going to hype the situation tremendously. Okay. A lot of the people in the on the officer's team are not going to know where the shot came from. Right. And in my situation, they, they didn't have eyes on me necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it could have been a suicide. It could have been a shot at them. Right. But it would have escalated the, the entire situation. Right. Uh, by firing around. Right. And that, that didn't happen in your situation. There was no round fired. But, the no. uh, you know, on some of those other situations that you were in while you were on the TAC team, you know, the other thing you got to realize is, the tactical team is up there inside, you know, or close to mm-hmm. the proximity when that shot goes off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to go in. They yes. want to get this over. Yeah. The hostage negotiator, he wants to try to resolve this to successfully save the hostage and the suspect, if possible. Well, and I think it goes deeper than that. We talked a little bit about, a bit about this towards the end of our prelude, and it's that Sabian has a record that he wants to sure. not right. uphold but continue, and it's a it's a... It's literally a crest of honor for him that needs to not be usurped right. as opposed to it's just something else that the guys that want to go in need to recognize. Right. Because I, I don't, I don't, Tony, you can tell us, would you, if there was a negotiator that said, oh, wait a second, I have five years of nobody's gone in and killed anybody, would that affect you at all? Or are you just, no. uh, and that's kind of no, what not, I mean. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh, I, I, again, I, I, I didn't control the situation. I was aware of the situation, and that's my, one of my biggest fears. And uh, when I when I when I talk to your people down there in Branson, is that the these terrorists are finding out these all these techniques that the hostage team will go through first. And uh, you guys are you guys have a tough tough problem with that. We didn't have the terrorists like you have now. I don't know how you're going to handle these guys. Truthfully. It's uh, it, it's touch and go, and you know they they we they um, 
you know, they consistently train and try to retrain and learn from mistakes and things like that. But you're right. It, the world is changing. Our, our uh, law enforcement culture is changing, and we're trying to keep up. And luckily, we haven't had any incidents like they have overseas, like the, the Mumbai or any of that kind of thing, right. to where, I mean, I don't know what we would do in a Paris. situation like that. Paris yeah. is a great sample. Right. A couple of guys with AKs start plowing through a, a, what is essentially a, a shopping mall. Right. The, the the buildings for the um, the newspaper in in France it was nothing more than just a an office facade uh, right. you know it, it was essentially a strip mall right. and on the second floor is where all the carnage happened it was just a couple guys with guns walking in what really deters that these days I mean it's it's the same same thing that always has is if you know you establish the bond with the community mm -hmm. and you get somebody out in the community that can give you good intelligence. Mm -hmm. And um, you go and you try to deter that before it happens. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. Why are we here? Well, the bottom line is that who took the money and who killed Nate? There's a lot of problems inside of modern-day filmmaking, especially inside of television programs, where they establish what's going on, and then 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes into it, you've forgotten why you're there. And at, uh, that reset moment where you've got essentially a... In this case, it's almost a verbal map that Danny throws at people so that you understand why we are here. It's very blunt and straightforward inside of this movie. Right. And I think many other movies could benefit from it. I absolutely agree. And, you know, and he maps it out. You know, the, the look, you know, what, what's his priority? His priority is his wife, you know, getting cleared, not going to prison. And his priority is, hey, who killed my partner? Mm -hmm. I love the way that he maps it out. I also like the way that he... He throws uh, that mask in there when they're going back and forth, that cat and mouse game going back and forth with Sabian, and he throws out these demands, demands that he doesn't even really care about. You know, hey, bring my badge uh -huh. up. He doesn't care about his badge. Right. I want to know. I want to know that I'm going to get my my just uh, outcome, and I want to know that I'm going to uh, figure out who killed my partner. So I loved it. Goes back specifically to what Tony's talking about in regard to fairness. Uh, right. That, that what is fair, right. and what is fair is one. We get to find out who killed Nate. Right. Two, I'm not going to prison because I'm innocent. Right. And that's it. <laughs> right. That, that painting of the picture inside of something like this, I thought was extraordinary. Hey, it's time to shut off the heat and the electric. Not so much anymore, right? Right. And, and like I said, this is a 98 <laughs> film. So back actually in the 90s, that was one of the, ta I mean, Tony, you'll probably go back to this. This is one right. of the tactics was to shut off the, the, the gas or shut off the heat and then turn kill the electric that was one of the tactics that was used like i said nowadays that's we don't even that's not even in play anymore really it's more about building the trust and the last thing you want to do is immediately Jerk going out in the rug of the electric yeah let's, let's <laughs> shut this guy's heat down and i mean it's just it's just tactics it's tactics that have changed within time and it's just kind of evolved from there interesting there's a there's a piece that comes out of my memory one of my favorite reviews that we've done is the perspective review of die hard which all of you can listen to right now by going over to twoguystalking.com forward slash diehard. And inside of that film, another one with another couple of sons of bitches from the FBI that roll in to ruin everything. <laughs> the power is shut down inside of there as well. So that's, a, a, again, a, an age, sage old task that is no more, correct? Right. Okay. And Tony, did they do right. that with, with your situation? Did they shut the power off and everything? Yes. I was the only one that would shoot alley lights out at the time. Now that was productive because then you could place men. I had a little twenty-two uh, uh, rifle. Okay. Um, but yes, they would. Uh, there was a thought, but we had to think about too is the the hostages inside how we're going to hurt them. Right. 
by doing these uh, evasive moves. I got gotcha. you. Interesting. And and a, did you say a twenty two rifle, Tony? Yeah, yeah. That was the first one. I have a twenty two bolt action rifle with a baby nipple over the the muzzle, which is a it would silence the gun. And when there was uh, an alley light, I popped the alley light out so men could strategically move around without being seen. Uh, that would happen a lot. <laughs> Very interesting. Wow. I'm not crazy. I'm just doing this to prove my innocence. The real story and the real reason. Now, we've talked a lot about that, Tony, but what else about what happened inside of your situation do you want to share? Well, okay, I have fought this aggressively all my entire life. Sure. If you have honor, you fight it. And I am, I am in federal court right now with federal judge Autry. The U.S. attorney is just absolutely sick and tired of me fighting them, and I don't really care. Mm-hmm. And I was really honored when Pat dug this up because I was, what I was really was stunned by was as after Pat was was working on this project, he has he came up, he came up to the trailer one day and he says, "You are innocent, Tone. That's no kidding." But to impress Pat that I was, that meant the world to me. Meant the world to me. Mm. And um, and I'm mm. going to fight it until you know I overturn this thing. Now, one of the ways I was going to do it is uh, let me tell you something. This this is a well, I I, I haven't let this out of the bag yet, but you guys absolutely know what's happened to Ferguson and the controversy with the grand jury. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to attack the grand jury with my with, with my complaints because that's where it all starts. Somebody had to go to the grand jury and say I allowed seventeen million dollars to be traded. Right. And if that's not true, the grand jury was tainted. It, and the, it was tainted. And there's a there's a lower burden of proof. <clears throat> what you had told me, Tony, and I I don't right. I have a limited uh, knowledge of the case, but you told me that civilly civilly you were cleared. Now, that, uh, for people that aren't aware, there's a lower burden of proof. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Tony. Uh, than criminally, and you said that you were cleared uh, civilly on uh, both of those charges. So, and that's kind of, that was the case that you were kind of trying to make, wasn't it? Exactly. I mean, when my secretary to my system, who's under me, mm-hmm. says, under oath, which is huge, it's very important. I'm the one, Lou Bliley, secretary to the system, I did these trades. I approved them, not Tony Donnelly. Mm-hmm. Well, there is the entire mail fraud case, right? because he's under oath. Now, you got conspiracy. With Don Anton, and you know how you worked on that, Pat. Uh, you know he vindicated me in, in trial, but and you're right that they uh, they didn't recognize it because it wasn't under oath. However, a couple of months later, Don Anton was sneaked back into the city to the grand jury, and was supposed to snitch on uh, whoever he's going to snitch on. And I found out about it. Well, the U.S. attorney had the duty, the obligation, to ask him under oath. Was Tony part of your conspiracy? Did he? First of all, never accused of taking one penny. By the way, not one cent. And did and did that occur, Tony? I guess did he ask him? They no, they won't. They don't want to talk about it. Okay. Okay. Well, what what Tony was referring about when I was doing this case, what I did was basically I I was at a conference a while ago, and I think it was in Illinois, and we were talking. It was a negotiators conference, and where are you from? That kind of thing. And I told the guy I was from St. Louis. He's like, Oh yeah, yeah, St. Louis. He was that's where the, the movie Negotiator was based on. And I was like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. So he gave me a little background. So 
after that, I went back, got on Google, and sure enough, I found out loosely based story. So I thought, well, that's a lot, of, a lot of history. Oh yeah, I'll try and yeah. find some of these people, and I end up finding Tony, and I found a, a lot of the cops that were involved in the situation, and I put a, a case study together, and mm-hmm. and I've been presenting it at different kind of negotiators conferences and stuff, and that's where I kind of got into the whole the depth of the case. There was more to just the hostage taking. There was this other backstory to it, and. It was just really interesting. I love that. And what's great is that this podcast wound up being a great tool to shine information and knowledge about the case that you've developed inside of wherever they might be able to listen to it. That's extraordinary. That's great. Tony, you'll have to let us know. Keep us posted on how everything pans out. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Um, Speaking to my attorney yesterday, and uh, just a moment, we've been working on it for about two years now. And uh, all this is encompassed to this uh, new appeal, this new motion. So um, I'm excited about it. All I want is the truth, guys. I hear you. That's, that's what we want. We want the truth. Would the SWAT team rescue guys drop their guns? <laughs> so it's, this is one of the very few things, and we'll get more to it inside of the bad no, sections. It's pretty tough. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> swallow. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to imagine the guy that's there and perhaps the actor, <laughs> but definitively not the guys yeah. that are dropped in. I just didn't think so. No. I mean, you're in, you're in, uh, you know, you're in the vest. You've got uh, flashbang grenades. You got a machine gun. You've got all that, and the, you're not. Yeah, each you're not has a hand. Him disarming you is going to be. Tough. And like I said, once Small they arsenal. once they give once they start going tactical, there's there's no stopping. You can't stop I mean, the they're, other. They're going to they're going to go. It's going to. Yeah, we're definitively going to talk about that inside the bads for this film. The appearance of killing an officer, the ups and downs inside of a real life scenario. So one of the two guys that drops that just so happens to be Hal from Breaking Bad. I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys knew that or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. But he gets taken hostage and dunked into a back room and apparently murdered. Asterisk. What would be the benefits of this other than Danny now clearly being, I'm not kidding, I am serious. I get that that's a value. But for me, again, from looking from the outside in, that for me is a game over moment. And now it's time to prepare for the breach. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll defer to Pat and Tony on that. You know, you've got a you've got a uh, a hostage situation. You do have other hostages in there, but now you have a gunshot that goes off after he's threatened to kill somebody. He may have killed somebody. He may not have. And and on top of it, the person that he is alleged he's killed is a fellow cop. So, is that an automatic breach then? And like I said, but and when we talked about this before, I, I still think it comes down to what kind of intelligence they have or if they have eyes on, can they actually confirm that, you know, yeah, this guy did shoot a guy. I mean, the gunshot alone I don't think is enough just to automatically say, all right, yeah, we're going in. It's just going to be the situation, I think. And, and I think I think what we talked about inside the prelude was this. And we'll go we'll go both directions. The first direction is this. I have taken hostages. A team has just tried to breach the room and then – Hit the pause button for whatever reason. Fine. There are two guys that are shackled, handcuffed to the staircase. I take one of them down. I scream some obscenities. I'm going to make sure that you understand that what I'm talking about is real. I'm not kidding. And I step into another room. I slam the door. You just hear kind of muffled gunshot. And then he walks out and closes the door behind him. Now, what is the situation? Yeah, I'm almost saying that. Bearing, they know for sure he didn't shoot him. They're they're going in and making an entry because he'd already shot a cop. I mean, what else can you do besides, you know, start uh-huh. killing more of the hostages? But yeah. playing it out, the, playing it out a different way. You know, here's the thing. Here's the unique situation in that 
you've got a hostage negotiator who's taken hostages. Mm -hmm. And he might be, you might think that through because you might think that he's smart enough to know that he has to stage that to throw you off. So there might be, playing devil's advocate, there might be some argument the other way that in that situation you might not go in thinking, yeah, he set this up, he staged it, he knows what he has to do to get us to... Mm -hmm to negotiate so mm -hmm. i don't know i mean because you know well if you got multiple hostages you have to err on the side of protection yeah my situation i had one hostage they would assume i shot him right um, right in the real and, you're right uh, absolutely and then they, if there's multiple hostages then i would say no unless they were confirmed shooting they wouldn't go in i don't think they would go in of course just don't know right right well, and so don't know. is the is the trump card then you hear a second shot and now we're going in it's not, i don't think no. it's set it's not no. it's yeah, not yeah, really set yeah. i mean it's you just you have to it's one of those dynamic situations you got to keep playing it's also the the dynamic situation that is established for a movie like this because that's what people think you know what right. what would happen if dot 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 Right. And then you insert the situation, and then you make the call. I, and that's what I love about this movie. Right. It allows anybody of any ilk to ask the question. Awesome. Right. Would there ever be an instance when they'd assume someone was murdered without seeing it happen? That I don't know. You know, I don't think that you can make assumptions. And like I just painted in the last discussion, you know, you're, you've got a hostage negotiator. He knows... He knows the limits. He knows what he has to push to get some leverage. Yeah. And even and with that, that plays into more of, hey, look, I'm not going to make an assumption because this guy knows all my cards. He knows what I'm going to play. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I make the assumption that he actually shot somebody. He shot uh, – and here's the, other, here's the other big mitigating circumstance. Prior to that, he shot off a round when he's talking to Farley, mm -hmm. and then they found out that he was bluffing. Mm -hmm. So if he bluffed once – he can bluff again. You know, I I don't know. I mean, he might be, you know, he shoots off another round. You know, that's potentially he's putting it into the ceiling again. Has he really got the guts to, to kill somebody? And on top of that, does he really have the guts to kill another cop? It's it's going to be a stretch. I, you know, and I'm banking on just what I know about law enforcement. No, I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's, I think he's bluffing again. But you can't play anybody cheap, mm -hmm. Pat. Yeah, I, I don't think you take it for granted. I think you still, have, you know, just because the shot goes off, you can't automatically assume, okay, now he's just killed somebody. I, like I said before, it's just all the intelligence you have, and you're going to have background on this guy. And a lot of teams now have psychologists, you know, working with them, and th that's going to be a question. Hey, what do you think? What's this guy's state of mind? Do you think this guy is going to kill somebody, or do you think he has killed somebody? I think that's all going to play into it. Interesting. Do you know your partner's badge number? I, I asked both of you, but you didn't have any verifiable partners. So, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll have to defer to Tony. So, uh, when I was in uniform, I did, but remember, I was in the, in the detective bureau for a long time, and your badge was in your pocket, and you, you, how you knew it was writing a report, mostly DSN number, not badge number. Right. Yeah, you had to know Interesting. that. Interesting. And as we discussed, you know, it, the scene he was talking about is when he pulls it up in the computer, would he know that number is his partner's badge number, or he he would know that that DSN was affiliated with that, that officer? And absolutely it would. Like with all of our DSNs, we know who's who's assigned to those because they're used in radio traffic. So we know when that number is called out on a daily basis, 
we're familiar with who that is. So if I saw that in a computer and it had Pat's uh, DSN on there, I'd, I'd absolutely know that that was affiliated with Pat. Well, and I love that. That go, that digs down to a level of minutia that I love to see inside of feature films like this because it makes sense. Right. <laughs> and that's all I'm asking for inside of movies like this is I just need it to make some sense. The second breach that kills Kneebaum, but stops for no apparent reason. Yeah, it's, it's rough again. The, yeah. This is one that we're going to definitively talk about inside the bads. The difference, though, is that I liked that they bothered to uh, have that stress of Kneebaum understands that if he gets outside the wire... Mm-hmm. and into the open window, mm-hmm. he's not Somebody's long right. for the world. Right. I thought that that was extraordinary. And it's right. where, inside of what is a reasonably small part, you get to see some real magic of J.T. Walsh. Right. Uh, the the talking about the looking up and to the left or looking up and to the right scene, that was right. one. That was a great one. But this one in particular where, you know, he, he needs some new drawers here, obviously, because he thinks he's going to be drug out in front of an open right. window. Right. I thought that that was extraordinary, a very extraordinary scene inside this movie. I agree. Frost switcheroo at the end. Now you got to watch out for those administrators inside the police. <laughs> you do. I, you know, I'm one of them. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it. I am one of those that tries to. It drives my wife up a wall. But I'll be. I'll be watching a uh, uh, some police procedural <laughs> TV show, and I will absolutely try to guess the end right at the beginning. Initial minutes, and she, correct. You know, yeah. And that will not go over well. But, <laughs> but, and that's what I do. But this threw me. I did not expect yeah. Frost. I expected. Beck, I mean, I had some reasons why he was covering up. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really wanted to go in, which is common for the tactical team lead. Mm-hmm. But um, he really wanted to go in. He didn't want to pull his guys out of there. you know. And I'm like, yeah, he's really gunning to cover this up. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't him. So, right. and they so really, brilliant. And they really play Frost out as being his buddy. You know, advocate. oh, that's Danny's advocate. buddy. You know, yeah. it, obviously it can't be this guy. He's, you know, he's his buddy. And then, yeah, oh, wait, it is him. It's a great, great technique of misleading, misleading, and then twisting it around at the end. I thought it was great. Uh, I, I really like it. I also like that they bothered to not kill him. That, right. I thought that that was also extraordinary. Right. That he gets to be the cop that goes on the inside right. at the end. Right. I, I thought that that was great. Well, something pretty interesting. I, a lot of people didn't realize this unless you were there. Um, uh, you, you, we've all mentioned I was trained, and I was. I was trained real well with weaponry, small arms weaponry, explosives, um, whatever. I'm coming out now. I'm coming out, and I'm going to face spy guys uh, in the hostage team. Mike, you're a pretty reasonable guy, it seems like. Uh, what's the first thing you're going to say to that hostage taker? What's the first thing when he walks out? Let me see your hands. Absolutely. You got a gun? You got explosives? In this situation, I took the file of John Frank out with the corrupt promotions in it. The first thing that was said to me was, Tony, we got the file. We want we want that file. Nothing was said about a gun, a knife, explosives. <laughs> they wanted the file, which is very interesting. That's because that file is so dangerous, Tony. Well, the U.S. attorney promoted two people who was in that file. What was a lieutenant and what was a captain? Hmm. And, uh, you know, I... I had all this right in, the, in these files. Hmm. Interesting. Very, Very interesting. interesting. So we're running a little bit long here during the WhatCopsWatch.com perspective review of 1998's The Negotiator, directed by F. Gary Gray, starring Samuel L. Jackson and a giant cast of others. We'll be right back after the break. I'm Bob Christman from the Galaxy Cast reviewing each and every episode of The Clone Wars, Sci-Fi Entertainment, and more. 
on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Poker's been around a long time. The memories, the cards, the money, the players, it all makes for an outstanding experience. But where can you get true knowledge, tips, tricks, and detail? Don't miss the next episode of Two Guys Talking Poker, where poker zealots Vic Porcelli and Andy Kazin interview poker greats like Michael the Grinder Mizraki, Alan Chainsaw Kessler, Greg Fossilman Raymer, and many more. Add on superb hand analysis and poker industry news, and you've got the Two Guys Talking Poker podcast. Check it out now at twoguystalkingpoker.com. That's twoguystalkingpoker.com. Shield was introduced in 1965 in an edition of Strange Tales featuring Nick Fury. It was billed inside comic books as the greatest action thriller of all time. And it's safe to say that secret acronymed international intelligence collection endeavors would never be the same. Another, even greater, episodic series is ready to take the greatest action thriller of all time mantle. And we hope you'll be listening. Don't miss the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, reviewing each and every episode of ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. bullet point by bullet point. Check it all out right now at agentsofshieldpodcast.com. That's agentsofshieldpodcast.com. Are you a blogger? Always wanted to be one? Are you a business that wants to add a blog to their website? Are you an existing blogger who's looking for more traffic? Then check out bloggersbug.com for the perfect solution to your blog creation needs. Access bloggersbug.com now and get bit by the blogger's bug. How? Check out bloggersbug.com for the perfect solution to your blog creation needs. Get bit by the blogger's bug. Bloggersbug.com. Get bit by the blogger's bug. Hello. Do you know who this is? Two guys talking the Matrix? Yes. It was a movie that smashed records, imaginations, and limits for gunfire inside of feature films. The Matrix, 1999, directed by the Wachowski brothers, was recently put squarely inside the crosshairs of the perspective review from Two Guys Talking. We talk about the hype, the money, the good, the bad, provide a rating, and discuss the franchise. Also, learn about all the great weapons utilized inside The Matrix from SovereignArms.com's Matt Gummersell, Senior Firearms Instructor specializing in dynamic weapons training. Don't miss yet another record-breaking perspective review from Two Guys Talking. All this and more is waiting for you, as well as the decision to take the blue or the red pill. Over at twoguystalking.com forward slash matrix. It's the perspective review of 1999's The Matrix, only from Two Guys Talking. Looking for a straightforward user interface on a cost-effective, feature-filled, multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. 
check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. This is Greg Howdyshell, the Chief of Police with the Warrenton, Missouri Police Department. You're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Everyone, welcome back to the WhatCopsWatch.com perspective review of 1998's The Negotiator, starring Samuel L. Jackson, directed by F. Gary Gray. So just as there are goods inside of every movie, there's also the bad. So guys, we get to the part of the perspective reviews that I really do enjoy, in particular inside of the WhatCopsWatch.com series, because we get to kind of nitpick. And one of my favorite things to do inside of films and television is nitpick. No problem here. Holding a shotgun to the kid's head. And off goes the television. Now explain this for us again, Chris. Yeah, I you know, I don't know that that's bad. I mean it's it's realistic, I guess. It gives you a perspective of what um you know, what we deal with and t- the types of people we deal with. And I know we had this conversation before. As bad as you can imagine people, you can't imagine reality you can't right. imagine how bad people can be right and um frankly it's law- one of the reasons we're doing the program <clears throat> right so. and in in law enforcement you know one of the things too that turns me off when i go to entertainment if i'm going to go watch something for entertainment if you have a show that does something to a kid it i'm just not going to watch it you sure. know it, it may it may make me just turn the tv off and um yeah that scene in the beginning is rough i mean you've got you know you get a little girl she's down on the floor and he's got a shotgun to this kid's head and she's crying and so on and so forth Right there, I might, I might walk out of the, you know, I might. It's, it's just not some place that I'm going to go for entertainment because within the, within the culture, I, I don't, I don't need, you know, that reality. I've already seen worse things than that, and it's like, you know, some, somewhat turns me off. However, it didn't with this movie. I, you know, got through it, and I, I liked the rest of the movie, and I, I enjoyed it, but. You know, it's just one, just my opinion, and uh, we can go around the room and see what yeah, everybody else yeah. thinks. Pat, I th- I think it just kind of played to the movie, basically, mm-hmm. just to the fact of this is his job. It's one of the most stressful jobs in law enforcement, mm-hmm. and now he's dealing with he's got a guy who's got a gun to a little kid's head. That just right off the bat throws you into his role. This is what he does. Mm-hmm. This is the stuff he deals with. Bang, there it is. So I didn't really have that much of a problem with it, and like Chris said, yeah, it, it, there's a lot worse out there, but this. Just kind of portrays that this is the kind of stuff that we deal with, and it's it's real sometimes, and this is this can't happen, and that just kind of it kind of just started you right out of the gate of this is how the movie's going to go. Well, and hardcore to begin with, right? You know, that, yeah. That's the that's the whole thing, Tony. It's incomprehensible to bring any type of child into a situation. We all know that it tears mm-hmm. our heartstrings. They did it only to sell movies uh, into this situation. Anytime you bring a kid in, it just tugs at our hearts. For whatever reason it is, you know, and do we act rationally? I don't think so. Sometimes we want the kid out of there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, I think the other thing to remember, too, is that there there are many ways to do this, to showcase a child in peril. Mm-hmm. I have to reference another one of our perspective reviews, a perspective review of Mystic River. Right. And uh, the literal child molestation slash rape inside of that film mm-hmm. uh, is way on the other spectrum of it's not shown. Right. It's very much so indicated at. Implied, yep. Uh, but allows you to have your brain run off. 
Right. Uh, which very often is way more horrific than anything someone could show you. Right. And so that, that if you have to have that inside of feature films and television, that's frankly how I'd like to have it. I, 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 I need the, the sample set, but I know that my brain can run into places that would horrify me even more than what is actually going on. Right. No problem there. <laughs> Negotiator going in. The evolution of the job. Yeah, that, that we talked about. We this. we kind of talked about this in the beginning. Like I said, back in the seventies when this first this concepts first started, you know, be involving. Hey, what is this negotiating? And I've actually I'm starting a new project now where I'm actually trying to talk to some of these older guys that started in the seventies and through the eighties, and you know how they started in tactics and and the tactics back then, back when it first started, there was times when they were actually going face to face with these people and were doing stuff to where they would go in and talk to the guy, and and that was just because. At the time, we didn't know any better, and that was just the tactics they used. Now, obviously, and even back in the '80s, we we didn't do that kind of thing. We didn't sure. we didn't go in without cover. We didn't talk face to face. And I, it, again, it's just the the evolution of tactics. I think is, and then of course Hollywood always has to Hollywood it up. So obviously, the negotiator's always going in, always dropping his gun and stuff like that. Well, and I think it's to the nth degree inside of this film because not only does he go in because it's a piece of the process that kind of makes some sense, especially because Danny is a negotiator himself. You've also got where now he's actually become an ally inside of the process of him avoiding the cops. Right. That's we talk about that that Hollywooded up, and you couldn't get more Hollywooded up than that. Just it wouldn't happen that way. Right. Well, they they put the dialogue in there too. You know, the guy says, "Well, you know, what if what if you double cross me?" and the, and he says, "Well, then just shoot me." I don't. I just don't see it going down like that. I don't see a hostage negotiator saying, "Yeah, that's fine. Just shoot me." I mean, it's not so much. No problem, dear. WTF, Farley? <laughs> All right. So this is where we load both barrels and blast away at Farley and the incompetence of Farley. One of the things that we had just totally guessed at is that this is a couple of years after. Uh, actor Chris Farley dies. I don't know if you guys knew that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, here we have chubby, completely incompetent guy. The only thing he's got to say, you're going to die in a hostage-taking van down by the river. Right, exactly. And it's it's the guy. And that's the only thing I can figure is that they're paying a small homage to the city of Chicago and dead actor Chris Farley. Because it was a piece of comedy. I get they're trying to balance or maybe add something that isn't dire tragedy. But... If it wasn't in there, I'd have been better off. It was, it was entertaining. I, I mean, I liked the dialogue that Samuel L. Jackson took him through. Mm -hmm. I thought that was entertaining. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I to me, and like I said when we were talking before, he didn't even look like a cop. <laughs> I mean, he, it's, he didn't have the mannerisms. Uh, he, I don't, you know, he didn't fit the role. He fit the role of comedy relief or comic relief. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I guess if that was the that was a the goal, they, they got it there. But, yeah believability as far as a backup negotiator i don't think so i'm gonna dig hard into what amounts to the trivia of this film <clears throat> and see if i can't find something that we can add in and right. inside of a future time because there has to be something there, there. yeah there has to be a reason why he was in there i mean <laughs> i would hope <laughs> yeah no problem there <laughs> never saying no is that how it goes pat we talked about this earlier 
what we try to do is we try to skirt no. We don't really want to always tell them. Uh, one of the big things we always use is because we're the negotiators, we can't make the decisions. We'll have to ask the boss. Let's ask the boss about this. Sure. Or we'll gotta talk to the boss. Yeah, we got right. to ask somebody before we just tell them no. And, and all that does is basically just create more time, which time is always on our side in these in these kind of instances. So the more time that goes on and nothing happens, that's good for us. So we're not going to say no because that just makes Closes no time. Right. So, yeah, so th- there is some truth to it. But there is times where, yeah, we're going to say no when the guy asks for a, a Learjet or, you know, I need the, the Lang- Lamborghini pulled out front with a million dollars laying on the seat. I mean, it's not going to happen. So <laughs> Chris there, will make that happen, but you're not yeah, going to make yeah. that happen. There, there is some truth to it. So, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. I, yeah. Whatever you want, I'll I'll make that. Happen. <laughs> That's great. And I, I again, that was the the piece of this that I did enjoy because it, it it provides to that lexicon of what hostage negotiators do and or uh, can do inside of a situation to alleviate a situation that clearly is not law. It is not the way and the only way. Uh, again, I would snap back to now. If you're going to make stuff up, you're going to look up and to the left. If you're telling me the truth. You're gonna look up and to the right, or whatever the, the right, right, yeah. Th- th- that that didn't just become something that was a funny moment inside of this movie. It suddenly becomes law because it's portrayed as how a hostage taker says things. Yeah, and that is uh, that, that's that's it's a, it's a huge thing inside of law enforcement based films and television programs across the board. Right. You'll you'll find that inside of any lexicon, inside of any office space, where there's somebody that enjoys watching things about police officers, and suddenly this new weave of law and right. knowledge comes through and has to be used inside of the lexicon. <laughs> That's what I do like about well, it. Well, the reality of those <clears throat> those things are that that nothing is an absolute. And, <laughs> right. you know, we, we combine all these techniques and such together to try to put together veracity or deception. Yeah. But people take them literally. Oh, my gosh, you moved your eyes. You lied. You know, and it's like, no, come on. It doesn't work necessarily that way. But right. yeah, we can read body language. It's uh, after years and years and years of experience of people lying to you, you kind of pick up when they're lying. So uh, what do you think, Tony? Absolutely. It's, it's inevitable. You, you pick all the, the lies up, the body movements, and then you train people to testify on the stand where that, that's none of that's depicted. I had to do that for a period of time with the, um, uh, the Major K squad. I did mm-hmm. have an interview with the guy and, and lash him as though he was a witness and, you know, make right. sure he, you know, he didn't fumble his fingers, look up in the air and, and, uh, act erratic. There's a whole science in that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny that you guys talk about science. I, I'm a former sci- certified sign language interpreter and inside of what is sign language is facial expression is how mm-hmm. people are talking is, are you talking fast? Because inside of sign language, you can talk deliberate or you can talk fast or anywhere in between. And being able to take the scope of what you see and then paint the picture is exactly what we're talking about here. Right. That's very well said. I'd like to just go back to the, the whole rule part again. Is uh, In the new negotiation community, we always say that negotiations isn't a science, it's an art. And the one thing we always say is there's never the same situation. Everything's yeah. different, so there's never really any rules. You, you, if you make rules, you're probably going to break them. So that's kind of how we look at it. Is mm-hmm. There's not a lot of rules. Well, it's it's kind of go by to see your pants sometimes. And I think what that probably paints for you inside of a profession is a very dynamic profession, which I know I get out of podcasting instantly. Right. That I can be talking to today three uh, police officers, and tomorrow I can be talking about the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode over on, on ABC. Mm-hmm. I love the diversity and the, the range, the dynamic range that that offers me. And it fuels me. 
it, it, it makes me more able to look in and have a different perspective because of what someone else says. I love that. No problem there. Tracing messages. Now, again, this was 1998. So technology has changed a lot since 1998. So tracing the text messages slash literal pager messages. That yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I guess it was a, a smaller, a smaller aspect of it. But you know, they both get text messages to meet at a certain place, mm-hmm. and uh, his partner gets there first, and somebody comes and uh, murders him. You know, the, obviously, whoever's one of the other police officers that was were was in on this thing mm-hmm. they come in there and they kill him mm-hmm. it, over the course of the investigation that you know that's going to come out wait a minute they both got text messages they both went to uh, this particular area you know they happened to time it to where the killer could come in and kill the guy and then just happen to have jackson show up and you know get framed he, he's there over the body and so on and so forth and you know there's a lot of uh, evidence that you would have there as far as uh, technology goes mm-hmm. And um, you would, you know, you would trace these numbers back. You would, uh, you would find out who actually sent those because obviously, you know, they both think that each other had sent those saying, hey, let's meet up. And neither one of them did. So where did it come from? How did they pull that off? You know, it's not coming from a a particular uh, phone number that they would think. So a lot of that stuff would come out. And I'm speaking modern day. Right. Or you could look back at the 98. It could have just been some guy on a payphone. He calls the pager and then another guy. The other pay phone calls the other pager, so it could have just been a dead end too. True. So who knows what looking, they were thinking? Looking forward to technology, though, we can look mm-hmm. at a recent sample, and it you know it may have just been on a private home based email server. Right, could have been. Right, it wasn't a it wasn't a big uh, a big downer for me, but uh, it was just one of the things I kind of picked up on. What I love too is looking through the kind of technology at something like that now. It becomes a completely different field, especially inside of law enforcement. There's right. a there's a cyber crimes unit. In fact, a couple of them locally right. that we should definitively have in sometime to talk about the tech and what happens inside of movies like this that you literally can pick apart because it doesn't work. We can do that. Yeah. No problem there. Killing other cops to cover up stealing money and, uh, oh, killing some more cops. Yeah, that's rough. This has got to be rough. Let's round the table here, and Chris, I know you're you're the most vocal about it, but let's hear it. You know, I, like I said, and, I, and I've said it before. So you know, you have you have this uh, this fund that people are stealing from, or even what Tony outlined. You know, you, you Who have would these steal from a you, fund. You, are you kidding me? You have well, you know, I mean, let's face it, we have we have police officers out there that sure, are corrupt. Sure, you know, the majority of police officers are good people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we do have people that are corrupt from time to time. Yeah. Okay, stealing from a fund. Yeah, I can see that. Obviously, Tony can attest to that. These mm-hmm. things happen, these promotional things, you know, fraud and so on and so forth. But to go and say, okay, well, we're we're going to get caught, so we're going to go murder another cop, I, I just don't see it. You know, I mean, first of all, what, what drives people to murder other people? That's, it. you know, it takes a lot. But to drive a police officer to murder another police officer to cover something up. I'm not saying it's out of the question. It would never happen. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that's a stretch. That's that's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's going to take a lot, and I don't know if you got it to cover up this, uh, you know, this money. But then again, we can let's let's talk to uh, uh, Tony. Obviously, the situation, the real situation, did not involve anybody getting hurt. But w- what would you say, Tony? I mean, would would uh, would that really happen? No, I don't think so. And the, and the aspect about money is that nobody sees this money. It's not like a, a robbery, a bank robbery. It's right. it's professionals that are doing trading 
and charging that extra little bit. And, and again, I gave you those words, shaving, uh, skimming. Right. And that little bit, they kicked back to other people, and one of the cops uh, pled guilty to it. He got right. caught taking about 50 grand. Right. And uh, so it happens. It just happens in the until you Until we put a set of rules out where that it nearly couldn't happen. But uh, in a civil suit, they took about uh, pretty close to a million bucks. Wow. All the companies, yeah. Wow. And so my pension system. And, you know, and, and like like we said, it's, you know, it's one thing. You've got some stealing going on. That's wrong. That's some corruption. But to uh, motivate uh, somebody in law enforcement to kill somebody else in law enforcement to cover something up, you know, a, it's a stretch. That's that's yeah. tough. Pat, are you in the same boat? I'm yeah, assuming? I agree. I think it was just something that they wanted to spice up the movie. Okay. Let's, let's throw a murder in there. And now know? here is the real question across this same line to, again, three police officers. When you see and know about stuff like this inside of a feature film or television program, does it instantly sour what you're going to see inside of it or not? Not necessarily. I don't think. I mean, it's it's entertainment, so I got to take it as fiction. Right. And it, it's. Uh, I, I get why they do it. I mean, they're trying to, like Tony says, they're trying to sell tickets to the movie. They're trying to sell movies or DVDs or whatever. It's it might be good entertainment, but but as far as uh, the realistic aspects of it, I go okay, yeah, that's Hollywood. Right. Yeah, I agree. No problems here. <laughs> the second breach that kills Nibong, but stops for no apparent reason whatsoever. So pushing the pause button on any breach for me, and again, I, police officer I am not, but it doesn't make any sense when it happens, and it happens twice inside this movie. Yeah, I, it's the same as the first one. I, I don't think I don't see I don't see you sending in a tactical team on a dynamic entry and then stopping, especially you're, you're sending them in on a uh, you know the building they're blowing the windows out and so on and so forth. I don't think that you I don't I don't think that you can stop them. Now I don't have a lot of background in. Uh, tactical entries and things like that. I guess uh, Pat <laughs> right. could tell us or Tony could tell us a little bit more, but yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see it either at all. Yeah, it's all uh, has, Hollywood. I was going to say, Tony, in your, how many, I don't, I don't know how many warrants or whatever you've done, have you ever seen an incident where the SWAT team went in and then all of a sudden stopped in, in, in the middle of the breach? I've never seen that ever happen. Well, I, I could bring one uh, situation to mind. Uh, a fellow was taking a hostage in a bar at 17th and King. He was very loud, very boisterous. He cocked the weapon. And we all know when you cock a revolver, the, the trigger pull is minimal. Mm -hmm. And he kept putting it back and forth between the hostage and the hostage and himself. Mm -hmm. And right in the middle of it, he, he shoots himself in the head. Well, we packed up and left. That, that was it. All over. Boy, that yeah, would have been a different ending to the movie, huh? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah that would have yeah. been a little different. But you yeah. never know what happens in these hostage situations. Right. And I, and I was, uh, mm -hmm. when I was uh, talking to these guys, I, know you, I, I really believe you should listen to your men. They're all pretty smart guys, and they have different ideas. And I think that would impact the situation of maybe a new idea. Yeah. And, uh, One redeeming factor I got I to gotta mention, too, is the, you know, the assassination there of Nebaum. They... One thing I did like, though, is later on when he, he came up and he pointed out you know, that this was clearly an assassination attempt, and they showed the shot pattern, and he pointed that out. Look, he hit him center mass. Mm -hmm. it, this wasn't uh, an accidental shooting. They shot him three times. I like that because they, oh, yeah. they showed the pattern on the chair. They showed the pattern on the, on the uh, file cabinet or whatever it was behind him. I thought that that, that aspect of it 
yeah. uh, really played into the plot. Yeah, having clustered rounds like that, but then also mentioning it so that the audience understands that there's something out of the ordinary. And by the way, Danny's skill set recognized it again. Yeah. I love that. Very good. Uh, again, the those pieces parts make me engaged inside of a story like this because you find out more knowledge in regard to what really does have impact across the whole story. I love right. that. No problem here. Shooting a computer hard drive. Dead. <laughs> now, I know you guys are expert marksmen, in particular when it comes to killing hard drives. So why, why don't we go down to the range and shoot and kill some, some computerness real quick? That'd be awesome. Now, this is something that has driven Mike crazy because Mike is an IT professional, obviously. And I have many computers and devices and stuff. And I don't think any of you could figure out how to get rid of anything except maybe dropping dropping it in lava. <laughs> right. And so when we see not one but actually two that we'll refer to here in a second, hard drive shot at range instantaneously, randomly. It, it's quick, and they pay they pace through it fast enough so that if you're not going to get hung up on it, you won't. Right. But it is terribly frustrating when you can just shoot three rounds in a small sector of a computer system and oh great the hard drive's done um again if we talk to our friends in cybercrime there's a lot of data that can be pulled off of oh, yeah. even a drive that's gotten a direct bullet hit right, right. absolutely no problem there who is the final big fish so at first we thought it was back no no it's the chief in back no 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 it's actually the three pistol arrows with the rifles uh, no wait a second it's actually fish and the three pistol arrows. Or is it? And I love that we can ask at the end of this review and this movie, mm -hmm. uh, was he the big fish or not? And that he's right. alive and can, and can contemplate it, which means if there is a bigger fish, guess who's going to get dead real soon? Uh, I, again, it's another aspect of the film that I love to ponder and wonder. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and the, uh, you know, it threw me off, like I said before, it threw me off all the way to the end. Um, I didn't think that uh, Frost was was the guy, you know, as far as, uh, uh, you know, the only thing would have thrown me off more if uh, uh, Danny Roman's wife was the one that was in <laughs> right. I think that might have thrown me off a little more. But, uh, you know, I thought they played that perfectly. You know, like I said, to, to stump me on that, I, I love it. You know, yeah, they, they the, it really kept me guessing. The open mic moment at the end is also something we didn't list inside of the goods, but I really enjoyed that. I thought that that was incredibly valuable mm -hmm. at the end where everybody, as he walks out, there's absolute disdain from everybody yeah. that's standing outside. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought that that was an extraordinary, nothing needs to be said, all you've got to do is shut up and watch this movie movie piece right. of that, and I thought, it, I thought it was extraordinary. No problem, dear. A confession given in front of three. This is a big one. Now, a confession is given in front of Kneebaum, Danny, and then the three other hostages that are there. Mm -hmm. So that you've got an establishment of, that guy just said that, dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. And that's where I thought it... You know, again, it would it would chop off half the movie, but that's where Danny literally could have said, OK, uh, everybody stop doing what you're doing. Chris Sabian, come up. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give myself up to Chris Sabian. Chris Sabian comes up to the top. He gives himself up. And now there's at least three people mm -hmm. that aren't dead yet mm -hmm. to give or four because we've got um, we've got the guy that's strapped to the stairs as right, well. Right. So. You know, are all of those people now going to lie and cajole after he's given up? No. No. So I thought that was great. But it also it also compelled us. Pat brought up that 
well, then that's why everybody should get murdered in that room as opposed to stopping with knee bomb and then right. hitting the pause button on the, on the breach. Right. right. And that is another big giant whoops. What happened inside of the story hole that probably a lot of people don't think about because you, you don't do the weaving nitpicking pieces inside of it, right. but it's something I wanted to make sure that we definitely talked about. No problem here. <laughs> what the fuck? The swearing. Yeah. Lots and lots and lots of swearing inside of this. And you guys brought a couple of really great stories. Let's let's start with the, the gentleman that encourages his SWAT team to not swear. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's and it's like me and Pat were discussing uh, prior to that. I can I can go in and watch a movie without all the F bombs in it. You sure. know, and it, it 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 makes me respect the the people doing the movie mm-hmm. if they can still pull that off without it. And you know, there there was a lot. I mean, they even had the there was uh, a lot the, of the uh, they even yeah. had the uh, well, it was the wife of the, the murdered cop. I mean, she cusses a <laughs> lot. I mean, just right. but the tactical commander that I know, he had a he had a directive where he he doesn't let anybody use obscenities. He you know, uh, the, and I'm not saying you know, look behind the scenes in a squad room. Tony can tell you too. Hey, you know, we get a little foul mouthed, and I'm putting it lightly probably. But you're out conducting business and such, and uh, yeah, there was a directive. You know, you don't you don't use obscenities and such. Somebody could overhear you, and um, you're supposed to be a professional. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it seemed like almost every other scene, the f bomb was getting thrown out. Initially, when they go into the command post, everybody's throwing the f bomb out, and it, a lot of times it didn't even really need to be out there, mm-hmm. and it just kind of I don't know what the reasoning was, but there was a lot of times they could have just said you know something else. Sure. And it would have made just the biggest impact, in my opinion. Yeah. Tony? I don't see the need for it. I really don't. Uh, but, again, if you watch a movie, Samuel Jackson does the swear one time. <laughs> very weird. He, he does. Everybody else does, but he, I mean, he does it. But, he, you know, they're going to sell tickets. I think that's part of it. Yeah, he's a, you know, he's an intense actor. I love him in his roles. And, you know, he brings that to the table, whether it's, just, it's you know, it's in, like, Pulp Fiction, like we discussed, or he's... He's playing, you know, this role, or you know, Nick Fury, and the—he's uh, just intense. He—he mm-hmm. he, has—he uh, can bring that to the table, I guess, no matter what he says. True. Well, and look at the Star Wars experience. Mm-hmm. Never right. once has Mace Windu uttered the f bomb. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so th- there's a way to do it, and uh, I, I agree with all three of you that there's a there's a way to do it. And what I need to do is there needs to be a definitive two guys talking based model that talks about what you could do instead of perhaps the F bomb inside of Hollywood. Cause yeah. it would uh, not only would it open up to more audiences, which is always a good thing inside of 1998, we're coming towards the, the ebb of needing to use the F bomb because you wanted to then make something PG 13. Right, right. As opposed to diving into an R with a hundred F bombs during, during right. a movie. So uh, it's definitively changing sometimes for the better, but most of the time not. No problem here. Would a SWAT team member not try to stop the siege at all costs? And the sample that I used here is as we get along after it looks like they've shot uh, Hank from Breaking Bad, whose name in this was Stacy something. Scott or something something like that. Scott, yeah. After (laughs) he's apparently been shot, the other officer is actually let loose. He's loose. His hands are loose. He's walking around. And my question was, wouldn't that wouldn't that guy try to stop what's going on somehow? And I wanted to offer that up to you three. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, any not I don't even think it had to be an officer. If you just know that guy just killed somebody and now you're free, wouldn't you try and do anything to try and save your life and try to save the life of the other oh, people yes. in there? I would. I would think I so. Would, yeah. 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 If you really thought that, yeah, he killed somebody over there, you're you're fighting for your life. 
So, I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. game's on, you know, and it, it doesn't matter who he is. He's a cop or whatnot. If you're fighting for your life, if you're in that that situation where you believe, look, he's just killed another cop in the room, okay, well, that's it's going to be on. Yeah. What do you think, Tony? I, I agree 100%. Couldn't add to it. So that's a very interesting perspective because inside of one of the other many questions of this very long review, it was almost the other Ben, but the same situation where it, uh, oh, I don't remember what it was. It was uh, you hear the bang because mm-hmm. none of them have seen anybody murdered either. They just know that right. Hal went into the room and Hal didn't come back after there was a gunshot heard. Right. Right, and, and and we had had this bluff before, like I had mentioned, where mm-hmm. he puts a round into the ceiling mm-hmm. when Farley and him are going back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the people in there know that he bluffed that because they had gotten back on the radio. You know, had Rudy getting back on the radio saying, yeah, we're all fine. Can you please not tell him no again? Well, maybe it does cross their mind. Well, he took him into the other room, but I actually didn't see him being shot but i don't know it's uh i don't know i'm, I'm with all three of you yeah. in the most recent the most recent question i mean I'm, I'm still thinking that i'm still thinking <laughs> that they don't take a chance if you're yeah, if you're loose like, you're fighting for your life especially if there are guns on the table yeah. that were left by previous yeah, officers like at least, you know, five <clears throat> or six of them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. a very mm-hmm. interesting perspective and again that's what i love about the perspective reviews is that depending on the nuance and the mm-hmm. situation the perspective changes great stuff no problem here. Our flashbang so fiery that they'd cause a pile of furniture and paper to burst into a robust, roaring blaze that would then set the building on fire. Tony, you can answer this. Uh, are flashbangs flammable? You throw them on a piece of paper or a stack of papers. Or an old couch. Well, I'm, or- I'm going to tell you that that was very new to us, the flashbangs. We actually, at the time did not have them. They were introduced uh, maybe a year or two after I got out. Hmm. So I am not familiar with flashbangs. I think they're, they're highly successful. Uh, I understand they're not combustible. But, you, Pat, you could probably answer that better. Yeah, there are some, I think, because I know there's actually been some lawsuits filed against SWAT teams where a couch is caught on fire yeah. and people have actually gotten burned. So I think at That's some point too. they are, but it's I don't know what. What happens to make them? Uh, so Is I don't it know. Setting the floor of a high rise on fire. I'm not. I... I'm not thinking that we had the flames and the you know the furniture's on fire and it's. I don't think it's to that extent. It, yeah, if it caught. I mean, you throw. I mean, he did. They did make a point to have him throw that on top of a stack of papers, and that might have caught that on fire and spread. You know, to the other portions of the building. Yeah. You know, my my bigger thing was. Is the SWAT team still coming in when the room is ablaze? You know, I don't know. One is uh, that might be an actual called pad. <clears throat> if a guy takes hostages, hilarity ensues like what we've seen inside this movie, and then there's a fire inside of room and you have no contact or radio with anybody else. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see anybody going in into a fire. I mean, I don't think the, fire yeah, I don't think the SWAT team's trained to go into a fire. What would happen then? <clears throat> well, I mean, you know, you're holding you're holding a you know a, an automatic weapon with a bunch of rounds and everything. You're walking into a fire. I mean, it, it gunpowder. That's a bad combo. Unfortunately, I think what would happen is what happened <clears throat> in Waco. The fire burns, and you know, I mean, interesting. I don't see how you can go into the fire. Hmm. You know, uh-huh. and and maybe and maybe you have t- some type of fire response, and then the decision is, do we send the firemen in? You know, I mean. There's a guy with a gun in there. Do we send the fireman in? Do we wait till it's, it's so bad to where, you know, we think that he's down because of smoke inhalation or what? I don't know. That, that's a tough call. 
That's a very interesting question. <laughs> and again, I, I love the chemistry set of the perspective reviews because we get to dig out questions like that. That's very interesting. It actually leads us to our next point. No problem here. Aren't fire systems created specifically to be able to function even while a fire is roaring and the power is out? Sure. So again, we see the flashbang right. that starts this initial <clears throat> inferno blaze. And then three minutes later, the sprinklers come on. And then the sprinkler on. systems right. come on. <laughs> right, right. So again, a, a negative and a definitive nitpick, but one when there is a fire that huge that couch and papers are burning, mm -hmm. you would assume that the suppression system would would activate. Mm -hmm. No problem there. <laughs> Gambling on shooting someone at close range. This is where we get to talk about the caliber of the gun, the distance, the where you shoot them, etc. Going around the table, we'll start with Tony. Are you gambling on shooting someone at close range so as to make someone think that they're dead but not kill them? No. We had extensive training from seven yards to zero at uh, point shooting that was just very successful at, at close range. And you've got the officer who's got the... He knows he could do it. He, he, he knows he could shoot at this distance. I think that's very important. And be effective uh, at that range. Yeah, and the the scene the scene that they had too was Tony. It was like at the end, Kevin Spacey, who's trying to get in a confession out of the uh, suspect. He uh, he shoots Jackson basically, and he he places the round right in his side mm -hmm. in, in the gut, just so the suspect, you know, the guy that he's trying to get to confess to stealing and all that, believes that he you know shot and killed him, and he wants to make a deal and so forth. And, no. um, yeah, no. I, I'm with are you. you talking, if you're talking about calling a shot with your adrenaline flowing yeah. that much to be that accurate, right? No, but, and, you know, people think, you see John Wayne, we're going to shoot the gun out of people's hands. Right. That doesn't happen. <clears throat> right. Uh, it just don't happen. It wasn't like he sits there, he gets sight alignment and he pulls the trigger, but I mean, it's a quick shot. He throws that gun up and bang, it hits him, you know, it hits him in the side. I mean... He easily, easily could have killed him. Yeah, put it through yeah, his yeah. chest. Okay. I mean, and and the other thing too is, uh, Jackson falls on the ground, and blood. blood I mean, blood is yeah. coming out of the yeah. side. Yeah. And um, you know, I would have, I would have framed it a little. I don't know, maybe something different. Maybe put a vest on. You know, he's got a secretly got a vest on underneath the shirt. You know, we can see it. He puts around. Into or maybe his like chest, the cast he iron, falls on the cast iron <clears throat> oven hatch. Yeah. Something, something, <laughs> something that could have been there. I, it it yeah. was a, it was a definitive jump from reality that I don't know helped the situation at all. And 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 less blood. If you're going to stage yeah. that, I mean, the blood <laughs> is just pouring out of the side of him. I don't know. Yeah. No problem there. Alas, another dead computer system. <laughs> So just because I wanted to hammer the point home on how frustrating this is when I see it happen, we get to see from a handgun this time the quick two dead shots that instantly destroy the hard drive and all of the evidence instantly so that there is nothing to recover. It just doesn't work that way. Agreed. <laughs> right. You're way out of my league in expertise with computers, so um, I'll defer to, the, to experts. Yeah, you trust me on this. You want to find the file like the one you found rather than the digital file that's going to be shot to death. <laughs> True. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So we come to the part of the WhatCopsWatch.com perspective review of 1998's The Negotiator, starring Samuel L. Jackson, 
Well, we rate this film. For those of you that aren't familiar with how the scale works, it's on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the worst, 10 being the best. No half points. Everything starts at a 7. For the goods, the counts go up. For the bads, the count goes down. We'll start with my super-duper co-host, Chris. Chris, what do you got? You know, as far as the bad points got, the things that we nitpicked and, mm-hmm. and picked out, yeah. they really didn't slow me down no. in the movie. No, I liked this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, uh, like I said, which, you know, maybe a little bit less on the language and so on and so forth, but I liked Samuel L. Jackson. I liked the role that he played in Spacey. You know, the dynamic uh, dialogue and such between the two. I give it an eight. Yeah, I thought that that was great. Pat? Yeah, I, I agree. And it, it, I always look at, is it entertaining? And, you know... It's something you're gonna watch, a popcorn movie, pretty much. And mm-hmm. the few bad is is if if you're just gonna nitpick it. If you're just looking for a good action movie that has some, it's got some really good dialogue, and there is some truth to it. Like I said, I I would give it an eight, also. Okay, great. How about you, Tony? I'm gonna give it a four, and I'll tell you why, guys. Um, <laughs> no way. <laughs> I was expecting more of the truth to come out, and uh, I could tell you. And when I watched this, it was it was like uh, somebody cut into my gut. You know, yeah. you're reacting, you're reliving this thing. And I was disappointed in that aspect of it. Entertaining-wise, oh, absolutely. It was, man, I didn't know that I could fare off helicopters and <laughs> do all that he did. He's fabulous. Yep. Uh, um, overall, I'd give it a four. I'd have to give it a four. Okay. A four. The, the value of movies like this, and uh, again, I always, there are many popcorn movies, as you said, Pat, that I can sit down and, and take in and gather something from it. I haven't seen this movie in probably, I don't know, 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's It's been a good long time. And uh, finding uh, not just the value, but something other than, hey, it's another Samuel L. Jackson movie, which this one falls square into that mm-hmm. realm of movies where he was just making movies to be making movies because I'm Samuel L. Jackson. Yep. And uh, again, to jump onto Pat's coattails, is it a great popcorn movie? Absolutely. If you haven't seen this in a while, it's something that you can watch and uh, revive a lot of the pieces where, oh, you know, I've forgotten about that or, Mm -hmm. oh, there's a little nuance that I didn't know. And frankly, this podcast helps that a ton. But you have to also look at what does it bring to the table in regard to entertainment? Mm -hmm. And I think this score is rather high on the entertainment rung. Right. Um, It's a feel good movie. Yeah. It it has Mm -hmm. action. Uh, Frankly, it has a good ending. Which it does. Right. Mo- mostly there's, especially when you have cops shooting cops, it's a lot of tragedy on tragedy. Right. And by the way, there's some more tragedy to pile on. And you get the justice in the end. You get not only you get justice, you get definitive justice, and that that guy's not going to have a great prison ride. Right. No way, right. not at all. Right. In fact, none of those guys. It's not just one guy either that gets caught. Right. I enjoyed <clears> that too. That there there is some definitive justice in that they're caught, mm-hmm. as opposed to they go down shooting like a like a cowboy. <clears throat> Right. Uh, I thought that that was good, too. I'm going to join you guys and give this, The Negotiator, 1998, with Samuel L. Jackson, an eight. And that's where we ask I you. I feel bad now. I feel bad. <laughs> I, I scored so low. No, we, uh, we we understand, man. I'll tell you what. If it's a story story about your personal story, a story about your life, and, um, you know, you, they, they get it wrong, I get it. I'd have probably given them a four, too. Yeah. Uh, and Tony, to speak more on that, the, again, I start at seven, and then for goods and bads, I go up and down. But the reason I give it just above an average is because of all the detail that they bothered to put in here, mm-hmm. in particular as hostage negotiators. Being able to take what is real life and then wrap it around something that can somehow possibly be entertaining at the end, 
I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. Frankly, it's why we're doing much of the podcast that you listen to, because there is value in just about everything that's put out. Mm -hmm. Is there enough value that cops are watching it and getting engaging experiences out of it? I guess we'll find out, won't we? Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and that's where we ask you guys, what did you think of what you saw inside of The Negotiator 1998, starring Samuel L. Jackson? Let us know what you thought by going to over to our website. That's whatcopswatch.com. Click anywhere inside the contact area on the right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and let us know what you think. Until next episode, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Chris DiGiuseppe. I'm Tony Didelli. And I'm Pat Doring. And what a pleasure to have you guys. We'll have you on again to talk more about whatcopswatch.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This is the end of your tour of duty. Another episode of What Cops Watch has been filed in records. But another scene is taking shape. So many dirtbags, so little time. Check back again soon to whatcopswatch.com and join us back in the squad room for your next assignment. Don't be late. This isn't a request. Are you a cop? You want to tell us about what you watch and why? Contact us by visiting whatcopswatch.com. There you can interact with us on Facebook and Twitter, subscribe to us via iTunes, and get regular briefings directly from your duty sergeant. Thanks for listening, and remember, after your tour of duty, hang up your duty belt, grab some coffee, kick back in that recliner, and listen to the next episode of whatcopswatch.com. <laughs>